You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that doesn't just speak to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived, worked, and ministered in small, out-of-the-way places and who know the immense value it is uh, to labor for God in these places. So whether you're a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a volunteer pastor or maybe luckily a paid pastor, we are just so happy you're tuning in. We want you to feel encouraged and equipped. I am your host, Joe Epley, and today we get to jump into a conversation about mindsets is what I would call it, just kind of the way we see the world in a way that pushes us forward, that keeps us invested in rural ministry. And to have that conversation, uh, I've asked Pastor uh, Scott Burr, who is from uh, the wonderful state of Indiana, and uh, he has been in rural ministry for just an awesomely long time, and we're going to glean from his wisdom. So the first thing I want to say is, Pastor Scott, how are you doing? Doing great. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about rural ministry. It's been my heart and life uh, for decades, so I'm anxious to talk about it. Well, perfect. Well, uh, as we often do with guests we have on the show, we do want you to take a second and uh, describe to us your background in ministry. You know, how'd you get from point A to point B? How have you spent your years pastoring? And what is your connection to the rural church? Absolutely. So I was uh, raised in Gibson County, southwest Indiana. Total population of the county, 33,000. Raised in a town of 8,300, which was the biggest town in the county, and then pastored in a town of 1,300 within that same county. So for 46 years of living uh, in Gibson County, uh, that's where I lived. That's where I raised my family. That's where I pastored. I've only pastored one church. It was that church in Gibson County for 23 years in Owensville. And so uh, my heart has always been rural, uh, rural county, rural communities as well. And God never took me far from the rural church until recently uh, where I switched and transitioned roles. But yeah, that has been my heartbeat for years and years. I got uh, saved in, in Princeton. I got called into ministry in Princeton, got equipped from Princeton. So when I say literally, I've spent my entire ministry career in a rural community and atmosphere. I have not ventured out until the last couple of months into anything but rural ministry. Wow. And I love to hear that. 23 years in one place is a really admirable thing. Uh, And it's one of the, the heartbeats that comes up again and again on this podcast is the blessings of longevity when we uh, when we do it well. And so that's exciting to hear. Um, so let's walk through your journey because I was just intrigued when we were talking by just the various uh, things that live in your brain that you're like, man, this this helps me drive ministry. This helps me reflect well. This helps me keep going forward. Because often as rural pastors, the battle is kind of won and lost inside our own heads at times. You know, yeah. do we feel like we're doing well? Do we feel like we're impacting our community? And if we don't, regardless of the results around us, it can really take us out. So uh, the first thing I want to is just to hit on some practical points. Um, you mentioned that you've had experience as both deacon and pastor. And and to be clear to our listeners, this does not mean that he punched a deacon as a pastor. Okay, <laughs> uh, This means that you've served both as deacon and pastor. And, and because of that, you know, one of the areas of struggle, I think, is how do we relate to our boards? How do we how do we connect with these people who are leading the church alongside us, these lay people? 
And so how does a pastor relate to a board well and create a good culture on their board? You know, kind of walk us through that. Yeah. You know, I did consider it a benefit to have been actually served on a deacon board before I became a pastor. Uh, They don't really train you how to run board meetings when you are in seminary or in Bible school. And so actually having sat on a board prior to pastoring gave me some unique perspective from the other side of the table, knowing what I wish I would have been told or how I wish I'd have been instructed in things. And that helped me tremendously in speaking into the board that we developed at our church over those course of years. You know, uh, one of the things that I learned early on was the significance of unity on your board. Mm -hmm. And we strived heavily over the 23 years that I was there to have unity, even if we did not agree necessarily on everything, we always stood together as a team when we implemented things. And so that always helped us because there are times when we moved ahead with things and we had 100% unity. There's sometimes we moved ahead and we didn't have 100%, but everybody was in agreement that we were going to stand together as a team. We're going to rise or fall with this thing together. And that always bound our hearts together because I never wanted a a bunch of yes men or, or or leaders on my team. I wanted some people who would challenge my way of thinking, that would push back, that would think a little bit outside of the box that I, w- I sometimes put myself in. So that was always key to me. It'd been easy to put people on our board that would have been completely supportive and just rubber stamped everything I did. But what I found, it made me a better leader over those 23 years to have, have men and women who served on our team that would at times challenge me in areas that help make me to become a better leader. So that was always a benefit. You know, if I look back over those 23 years, uh, you know, I think I would have trained my leaders better. I think I'd had more deliberate training with my deacons and elders about their roles and responsibilities Mm -hmm. and even invested in sending them to uh, seminars and conferences that would have enabled them to become better at what they did. But oh, wow. probably as I was leaving the, the church and coming into this new ministry assignment, the one thing that I recognized that I could have done better as a pastor is I trained these leaders to work well with me, but I didn't do a good a job as training them to work well with each other in my absence. Mm. And looking back, I would have empowered our deacons and elders to work more independently from me so that they could have learned how to build those connections with each other, that in my absence, they would have been a stronger team. And mm-hmm. it's not that they aren't a strong team, but I, I recognize there were some weaknesses there that that I could have actually done better in and helping build that board. So I just encourage rural pastors to make certain that you, you might have a strong team that really supports your vision and works well with you. But how about empowering them to work with each other so that you know your team is strong independently of you? Man, I love that. I love that. Good, good stuff from both from both what you were able to do. And in hindsight, I love that. So, well, let's dive into another uh, common experience of uh, rural pastors is whether we want and, and this happens also in larger churches. It's certainly not unique, but it stings sometimes in a rural church when a family leaves, because oh, yeah. maybe in a large church, maybe there's three, four hundred people, even five, six hundred people, even beyond that. You might not notice when someone slips out the back door, but uh, in a small town yeah. church, it's pretty easy to see the pew where that person sat. And so I know that in in my experience, even as a rural pastor, like it is so easy to get in the weeds to kind of to kind of go, man, 
here's some negative things, you know, that this family might leave on bad terms or in the community and how does it affect our reputation with those around us? And, and so how does a pastor steer clear of that? Like, what is the recipe for success? Cause it, cause it's not so much that we can ever like win, but you do get through and you can get through successfully, you know? And so how, how do you keep your focus, you know, and, and what should you be focusing on when, when these kind of things happen, when leadership has issues or when a family leaves, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, in, in a, when a family leaves a small church, the funny thing is, is that they, they may leave your church, but they don't really leave your social circle. <laughs> your, <laughs> your kids, your kids still play ball together. You still shop at the same stores. You still mail your stuff at the same post office. I mean, you, you go to, you show up at the same parks and the same ice cream stands. None of that changes. And so in, in a larger context, maybe a more suburban and urban, if someone leaves there's a high prob probability you'll never see them again, but yeah. not in that rule setting. You are going to see those people again, and you have a lot of the same friend networks and and work networks, and so they're going to talk back and forth. And and so yeah, so for me, understanding that, I will say just to be honest, early in my ministry, when a family left, I took it personally. Sure. I thought it was something I did. I thought it was poor leadership on my part. But as I matured in ministry, I realized that that sometimes people come into your church for a season and you should enjoy that season that you have with them. Minister to them, love on them, connect with their family. Now, if they should leave because of a hurt, then yes, you've got to step in and try to try to bridge that gap and work through reconciliation with that family. But sometimes people just leave and it has nothing to do with you or the church, has more personal with them. And so you continue to pastor them even outside of the church setting. You know, I was believed early on, God really spoke to my heart that I'm not calling you to Owensville to pastor the church. I'm calling you to pastor the community. Sure. And so even when they leave my church, I still feel a responsibility to pastor them within that community setting, loving on them, encouraging them. Even at times I've had people tell me they were leaving. I got them plugged into another church that really fit mm -hmm. more of who they were. And for years, they would tell everybody in the community how Pastor Scott plugged them in at another church that fit them better. And so that always resonates with me that I just enjoy the people while I have them for the season I have them in. And if I need to bridge those gaps, I will. But I'll still pastor them when I see them in the community and love on them because I still feel they're like they're my people and sure. I need to invest in them. Yeah. And so what about situations that might add a little more controversy? Maybe a leader steps down on bad terms. And yeah, because um, I think we've all had people speak ill of us in the community. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I think everybody kind of has a season where somebody says, man, that church down the road is is terrible or, or something to that effect. Yeah. And so how does a pastor keep leading his church when it, I, I think it's tempting to get right on that level and say, well, no, let me answer every accusation. Let me figure, you know, what, what it was your solution to helping navigate those moments? So I had an experience like that back in 2008. I had some leadership uh, and it was several families. Uh, there were three families on one side, three on the other. And really their, their grievance was with each other, not with me. Sure. But mm -hmm. when I stepped in to bring correction and some discipline, then they all turned on me 
and then they all left the church. Wow. And so back then, early on, 2008, the church wasn't nearly as large as it was when I left. And so that was a pretty devastating blow to the church to have that many families step out. And there was a lot of that, uh, people going into the community, talking about how toxic our church was and, you know, my failures as a leader and, and things like that. And it was during that season that I really began to resonate on some scriptures that uh kind of carried me through that time. Uh, one of those is out of Second Samuel, where where David spares Saul's life. Saul is trying to kill him. David has the opportunity to take revenge and rather just cuts off a piece of his robe. But he makes a statement there in Second Samuel 24. Uh, he, he says to Saul, the Lord judge between you and I. He says, mm-hmm. God will take vengeance on you, but I will not lift a hand to you. So I really just kind of took that perspective that, that you know, I'm going to continue to be consistent in my ministry here in the church and loving the people, loving the community. I'm not going to get in the weeds with them. Isaiah 53, 7 says that Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter, but he didn't open his mouth. And so there were times I just closed my mouth. I just spoke blessing over them, encouragement to the people that, that were bringing me the information. I just didn't get in the weeds. And just continued to demonstrate love and respect towards those who who left. I will tell you that years later, that half of those families came back to the church because I did not burn those bridges. The other half went on to plant a church and we reconciled and I've preached at their church on several occasions. God will do the work of reconciliation if we have a long view rather than a short view of, hey, let's just get through this. But let's think about reconciliation being the goal. And we want to get to that point, especially for our community to be able to see it will be a blessing. Man, I love that. I love that. And that's such a powerful truth because, again, it is so tempting. And it's and honestly, it's such a natural defense mechanism when you're hurt, uh, when you feel like it does reflect on you to to want to jump in and say, man, can I solve this right now? Can we overcome this hurdle? Can I silence the chatter? And sometimes it's like, man, just buckle up, let God work and just keep keep doing ministry. That's cool stuff. All right. Um, I love talking about mindsets that help us succeed as we've kind of been mentioning. And so you mentioned that God talked to you at kind of near, near the beginning of your ministry and say, mm-hmm. anything that you can dream, anything you want to accomplish can happen from Owensville right now. Owensville, of course, is a town of 1300. Right. And um, what really latched uh, me on to your statement when you said that was kind of this idea that like, I have always struggled with ambition, you know, large, large parts of my life where I said, man, you know, when, when I first moved, I'll admit it, when I first moved to a rural town, not having grown up there, uh, I felt like it was this unseen corner of the world. I was like, what, what can I do of significance? Now, of course, very quickly and over the years, that's proved wrong. Like, obviously you can be very significant in your impact and being faithful to God is important, but what did it mean to you? And it was like, Hey, anything you dream, anything you, you want to do can be done from Owensville. Like how did that kind of fuel you as you, as you ministered? Yeah. You know, early in my ministry, you know, a year after coming to the church in Owensville, I was, I was contacted by a church in a town of a hundred thousand plus people to come and candidate at their church. 
And boy, was that tempting because oftentimes we shouldn't, but sometimes we see rural ministry as a stepping stone to a greater ministry context, thinking that in a town of a hundred thousand plus, I can accomplish a lot more. There's more people. I can have a bigger impact. Yeah. Right. I can have a bigger impact. And, and so I can, you know, and, and coming, being raised in a rural setting for all of my life, it was tempting because I've, li- I've lived in a rural setting, and, 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 and so I understood that setting, and it had been easy for me to become complacent in the sure. rural ministry setting. And when this opportunity came, that's when God spoke to me. He said, you know, you do not have to go anywhere. I can do everything through you, that's in you that you're dreaming and aspiring to right from this community. And wow, it really kind of transformed me. Back then, I was reading a book by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Church. And, and whether you agree or disagree with theology, at the sure, beginning sure. of the, in the foreword, he is writing about a prayer that he had. And he prayed, God, wherever you send me, he says, I'll stay there my entire life. Wow. And God sent him to Orange County. Well, after that, that, that invitation to come preach at a bigger church, I said, God, I've not ever prayed that prayer. God, if you want me to stay here in Owensville my entire ministry career, I will stay here mm-hmm. and do what you call me to do. And so over the course of that time, I just trusted him. I said, God, if, if I can do everything that's in my heart to do from this location, then I'm going to trust you that it'll happen. And so over the course of those 23 years, uh, we planted two churches. We ran a school of ministry. We, I wrote a book. Uh, I raised up uh, 10 credentialed ministers in our church. I sent out missionaries to uh, engage Nicaragua, to Chi Alpha. We got foreign missionaries that are actually itinerating right now to go to the mission field. Uh, I served in district leadership and then ultimately was elected to this executive, executive secretary position for our district. All from a little town of 1,300 people nestled yeah. within cornfields and coal mines in southwest Indiana. And, and that's only done because I just trusted God that he could be faithful from that little community to do everything that was in my heart to do ministry wise. And we watched the church grow from 14 people to 230, 40 people over the course of that time. So everything that God promised, he fulfilled because we were just faithful to Mm. see the rule setting as God's calling and not just a stepping stone to something greater. Yeah. I love that. I love the dedication there because again, at the end of the day, it's about serving God. And 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 who are we to believe that God would ever look at a location and say, ah, I just I lost your address. I'm sorry. You know, like he knows where to find right. you, he knows what you're doing. And you stick it out. And yeah, the Lord can work amazing things. Well, that kind of goes to uh my next question. And I think it'll take a, a little bit different angle, but you also mentioned the rural setting is in itself a calling, right? And obviously, that could mean the natural conclusion would be that some people might not feel that call to a rural setting. And so how important is it to feel called to a rural setting, you know, in your opinion? Yeah. Well, when I think about the rural church, you know, it's not a traditional mission field like we think about to a foreign country. But there are a lot of similarities into going into a rural setting to minister, when you stop to think about number one in a small community, there's normally years of family lineage, right? You'll hear things like, well, if you're not a Smith or a Jones, you're nobody. Oh, right, right. You're not going to make right. starting quarterback unless you know the right? coach, you know, <laughs> you know, 
that kind of thing. And so, but that's because that's small community. They're usually commerce is driven around one particular thing. Like you're in a farming community, a coal mine community, a manufacturing community. There's not a lot of diversity within the work. Most people kind of, they fall into one of those categories kind of where you live. Uh, They're typically more conservative than they are progressive. Typically, not always, but typically they're usually economically challenged you know, in the fact that they don't have a tremendous amount of money. They don't have, you know, they don't have the town I came from didn't even have a stoplight. (laughs) We had had a blinking yellow light. Yeah, we had had a blinking red light. You know what I'm saying? We were were a step up. We had a four-way stop, blinking red light. It was solid. (laughs) We had a Dollar General store in our town. We called it the mall because that's the only thing that we had. So, yeah, I mean, so that's different. Congregations are typically smaller in those areas. And what is successful in a larger ministry context is usually not necessarily what will be successful in a smaller context. And you have to be okay with that. That's Mm -hmm. where creativity comes in, in a rural setting, is that you have to read your own community and then minister to the specific needs of your community the best that you can. So to me, it's a calling to go there and in, in discussions with pastors, I've heard them often say that, you know, it takes about five years to really make inroads into the community God sends you to. In a rural setting, double that. It takes yeah. about 10 years, really, to make the inroads into the community. And on top of that, if you commute into that community, it, it's often harder. Uh, ultimately, I pastored that church the first seven commuting in from another town. It was very difficult. I wasn't getting much traction. But when I moved into that rural setting community, I shopped where they shopped and ate where they ate. It changed the whole context of ministry. Mm-hmm. And quickly I became accepted into the community culture because I was there and living there. My kids went to school there, the whole nine yards. So it's really kind of like a missionary. You have to, you know, you can't commute and be a missionary. You got to go to the culture. You got to live in the culture. You got to become the culture. You got to learn their vernacular. You got to eat where they eat, sleep where they sleep, do what they do. And at the end of the day, then you become a voice of influence within that community for good. Yeah. And uh, to add in my own experience, I would say also that like the call isn't something that's always evident. I mean, in an ideal world, we would have a bunch of heads up notice on what we're going to face and what we're going to experience coming right. from not rural to rural. Uh, but I also know just the the call, the call to follow God, the call to trust that where he's going to put you is where he needs you to be is uh, is hugely important, you know, because I wouldn't I was called to a rural community without even recognizing what that meant. But because of faith in the call, you know, I was like, hey, it got hard. I mean, I had people try and drive me out of town, you know, the whole nine yards of you're an outsider. We don't want you here. And yet when you recognize the call. And so I love that two pronged approach of, hey, when you get a chance to think it through, it is a huge missionary context. But even if you're not fully aware of the ramifications, trust that if God told you to go there, he meant you to go there, you know, and so that's that's good stuff. Well, uh, I guess the last thing I want to ask about, and we've already uh, luckily covered one because you talked about that example of David and Saul and kind of yeah. uh, let the Lord judge, you know, but there was one more thing that you said had guided you from scripture. And I believe it came out of Philippians 1. So maybe as a as a parting word of wisdom, you know, yeah. what is what is Philippians 1 meant to you and, and how does it drive you in ministry? Yeah, Philippians 1, 6 says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. So that has been just a guiding passage for me that what I take from it is that whatever God starts, he'll finish. 
And so if he's called me to something and I'm willing to put my hand to the plow and start it, I can trust that God is going to see me through. So even if I hit some rocks, even if I hit some weeds, even if I hit some difficult situations and the plow falls apart while I'm trying to work the ground, I have to go back to the fact that I heard a word from the Lord. And God said, if you'll start this, I will bring it to completion in Christ. And there were a lot of times, especially early in that ministry journey, where I had to just rest on that word that I started this with God. I'm going to finish this with God and just making that commitment to the long term longevity of ministry in the place where he put me. And that's still today. I'm guided by this passage, moving into this new ministry context. I'm starting something new and I'm leaning back into this passage very strongly like never before. He who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. And so we can trust in that. I think that if you're a real pastor, uh, that you can lean into that passage and it'll strengthen you to know that you are right in the exact context of where God wants you. He called you there. He'll equip you. He will empower you. He will encourage you. If you have dreams and aspirations, you are not limited by the size of your community. You're only limited by what you believe God can do through you Hmm. in that context. That's the only thing that limits you. When you believe that God can do anything in that context through you that is in your heart to do, then God will be able to accomplish that through you. So that's, to me, has always been a positive thing because I've watched him do it time and time and time and time again. I've watched pastors in larger church contexts, communities who have never planted another church, who have never raised up another minister, who don't have any missionaries that have come out of their churches, who have never stepped into any type of leadership beyond their pastorate. You know, and, and, and they're in larger communities community context and they why haven't they it all comes back down to those mindsets is that rural ministry does not limit us in any way shape or form mm. it, it, we serve a big god that sees beyond the context of our location and sees our heart and sees what what we're willing to do if we'll just trust him so i just encourage pastors that are there but also pastors that may be looking to pastor those rural communities that these aren't just as we say opportunities These are places that we are called to, that people there are going to be saved. They're going to be transformed. They're going to be baptized. They're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're going to be called into ministry. They're going to be sent out as ministers and sent to the mission field. All within these in these smaller rural contexts, God has some great people in store for you to minister to. Mm, I love it. Well, I uh, I did tell you I wasn't going to throw you a curveball, but I also, before that, did not know you had written a book. And so... I would love, just because we like platforming other people, can you tell me what you wrote a book about? We'd love to throw a link to it in the uh, in, you know, in the show notes if it's available. But what did you write about? Sure. It's called Bound by God. It's spiritual and practical application for entering the marriage covenant. For oh, years, cool. I, I did not have a resource that I felt comfortable with that basically walk couples through everything they needed to know, or at least the spiritual things they needed to know, prior to getting married. And so I had been writing it and, and I had, I had like all these like eight or nine different teachings that I used. And a fellow pastor said, pastor Scott, if you put that into a book, I would buy that. And I love that. And so I did it uh, it, back in 2008. 
uh, nice. I put the book together and uh, it's on Amazon. You can go there and get it. And a lot of pastors in our region, uh, they use it to help couples through premarital counseling. They use it for small groups in their churches. So it's been a great resource uh, for them uh, the, to, to utilize that resource. And, you know, we're, we're proud of what, you know, we were able to put together. It's like a workbook that people can work sure. through. Uh, I just finished uh, some premarital counseling with a couple uh, just two nights ago and we finished the book and it's just gonna it's just a great foundation for couples that are getting married so yeah that's it it. that's the only one i've written at this point i think god's got some more in my heart to write but Mm -hmm. i've got my plate is full in ministry right now so it'll probably be a little while before i put pen to ink again (laughs) sure well we'll definitely promote that i do just want to say one more time thank you pastor scott for being on the podcast today it's been a delight well, it was a real honor. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. And I will be praying for you, this podcast, and for all of our rural leaders. Awesome. Well, hey, from all of us at Rural Advancement, once again, we just want to say thanks for tuning in. It is our goal every week uh, to bring you content that speaks right to where you're at and that speaks to how much God values and loves those who minister in small places. I've been your host, Joe Epley. He has been Pastor Scott Burr, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.